need to, I need to move. We need to hurry this morning. So I, I will do my best to do that. So um, welcome to two weeks of True North Mother's Day, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna start Mother's Day a little bit early this year. Uh, I cannot believe that next Sunday is Mother's Day. Um, uh, but um, that's what it is. Ready or not, here it comes. So we're gonna focus on Mother's Day for a couple of weeks, uh, but I think what we have to share will certainly apply to the men uh, that are here as well. So don't, don't doze off, men. It's going to be beneficial for all of us to hear what's shared here today uh, and next week. So um, we've, been, we've been in this series on the patriarchs, so we're going to pause and look at some of the women that, that haven't gotten a whole lot of press. Uh, today I want to uh, I want to look at, at Hagar. Next week we're going to look at Sarah. Uh, but we've been, we've been looking at the life of Abraham, so to the, the next couple of weeks we're going to look at the lives of these ladies that were significant in, uh, in Abraham's life. Um, these messages will, be, uh, will hopefully encourage you. Uh, ladies, we do honor you and, and what you do as wives and mothers and, uh, and how you serve your families. Uh, and so hopefully with, um, with these messages there'll be some encouragement for you. I want to look... Um, for some reason, that's not, it's not going anywhere. Okay. Okay. So, okay. I got it now. So it is working now for whatever reason it didn't the first time. All right. I want to read two passages. So, uh, let me, let me read them quickly. Turn first in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, and uh, I want to read the two significant, the two most significant passages dealing with Sarah and Hagar, the interactions between Sarah and Hagar, okay? So Genesis 16, starting in verse 7. What did I put up there? Yeah, we'll start in verse 7. So we had actually uh, talked about this a little bit, that, that Sarah had, had um, that Hagar began to, uh, began to look down on Sarah because Hagar became pregnant and Sarah, as a response, began to treat Hagar rather harshly. So we're, we're in verse 7, we're in the middle of this story where, where Hagar has fled from Sarah. Verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and against everyone's hand will he be... I don't know how many moms would say amen to that. You know, your son will be a wild donkey of a man. Just, you, know, <laughs> you see the boys born compared to the girls, like, whoa, something, something different is going on here. Um, Anyways, uh, everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord. Uh, sorry. 
it was not intended to be an insult. I mean, I'm among them, right? So there's no offense intended. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Bir Lahairoi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So that's the first one. The second one is Genesis 21. I want to read uh, starting in verse 9. Genesis 21, starting in verse 9. Just that so we all are aware, uh, reminded of, of the interactions between these two women. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. I feel like there's a lot of women saying amen to that right there. Um, For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bowshot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. All right. So let's see if I can cover quickly the context and the background here of first Hagar and then Ishmael, and see if we can do this part very quickly. So first of all, we read in the text that Hagar was an Egyptian. It's not entirely certain, but many have speculated that Abraham probably um, uh, was gifted Hagar by Pharaoh. Uh, that, that Genesis 12, verse 16, that he may have, he may, uh, it, she may have been one of the maidservants that was given to Abraham and Sarah when they had been in Egypt. It's not made clear in the text, What is clear is that she was an Egyptian. Secondly, according to the custom of the time, um, Hagar Hagar is is assigned by Sarah to become a sort of surrogate mother for her. So this this phrase, I think the way the King James reads is something like, um, you have a child upon my knees, something like that. The idea being that Sarah was going to be made a mother through Hagar. She was going to claim this child. That was the original idea, that that Sarah would lay claim to this child as her own, Hagar being the surrogate surrogate mother. 
uh, it's, it's an opportunity to just pause and, and while this is not at all what's intended in the text, to at least acknowledge that there are people who raise children that are not their own and thank God for them. Thank God for foster parents. Thank God for, for adoptive, for, for, for parents that adopt children. Um, these, are, these are things that, that are graces that God gives to people's lives, and, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous blessing when someone is willing to take that responsibility. The third thing is that uh, in the story we read that when Hagar becomes, pre- uh, becomes pregnant, she despises Sarah. She looks down on Sarah, and a rivalry develops. A, a, a rivalry between these two women develops. So Hagar becomes pregnant. She looks at Sarah. You're less of a woman. You're not able to have a child. Um, listen, there's so many ways you can go with this. Uh, all of us are, I'm sure, aware enough of the issues in our day where people are being challenged to define what a woman is. Well, someone that can have a baby. Well, what about a woman that can't have a baby? Sarah was still a woman. So we have all these, all these conversations that seem rather unnecessary. Um, I just every once in a while want to quote the Declaration of Independence and just say we hold these truths to be self-evident, that men are men and women are women, and we know the difference, <laughs> okay? It's not that complicated. Um, anyways, uh, um, Hagar becomes pregnant, she looks down on, despises Sarah, and this rivalry develops. Now, by the way, it does not mean that because, that because Hagar looked down on Sarah that she deserved the treatment that she got thereafter. She didn't. But by the way, neither was she, as far as we know in the text, neither was she consulted as to her willingness to be a mother of Abraham's ch- children. So, there's a lot that's going on here that is less than ideal. Let's just face that up front, okay? So, um, so there's this rivalry that develops between them. Let me make a comment on this because it's a conversation that I've had numerous times, and I just want to say openly that there are no perfect explanations for this. There's a lot about this that you just look at and go, you know, I, I, I'm not 100% sure what to do with this. But when you're reading this story and you're thinking about Hagar and you're thinking about the morality involved in a slave woman being required to become a man's uh, um, secondary wife that she doesn't ask for, right? There's a lot of questions involved in this. I, I think this is at least something to consider. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. I'm not going to try to even offer a full explanation or a part, but just a couple of quick thoughts. Acts chapter 17, verses 29 and 30 are, are very interesting. Paul is talking with the people of Athens, and he refers to idol worship and in the ancient history of idol worship in the context of saying that there were times of ignorance that God overlooked. The King James reads that he winked at. That he winked at. Um, Or that he overlooked. The idea is that there was a time in history in which things happened that God was not the author of, nor did he approve of them, 
but he put up with them and didn't make a big issue of them for the time. For the time. Now, you might say to yourself, why? Right? Why was it that at that time there were things that God overlooked? Why did he, why did he not make big issues? How many of you have thought about the issue of some of God's men having multiple wives? Yeah, come on, you know, what's, what's going on here, right? And it's just, we all recognize that at the beginning, God didn't make Adam three wives. He made Adam one wife. And his language, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Like, the whole formula is pretty clearly set out for one man, one woman, monogamy for lifetime. That's the way it is, right? That's what God established. Well, it didn't take long for this to begin to change, and, and, and we have to ask ourselves, why does God put up with this for a time? And at least a few suggestions. The first thing is that we have to remember that there was the lack of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence in people. Like, we have advantages that restrain us in ways that they didn't have. They didn't have, okay? They didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You and I do since the time of Christ. You and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So it seems that God is looking at humanity and saying something like, man, without, without the Holy Spirit indwelling them, these poor human beings are really weak. <laughs> like, they're really weak. Even the men of faith were weak, right? And so, so there's this, we're going to put up with some things for a time. Not, not what I approve of, not my preference, not the way I, I commanded things to be, not the way I instituted them, but we're going to deal with this for a time. The second thing is that there was a lack of understanding of God, of his ways, and of his worship. That's why Paul refers to them as times of ignorance. They were times of ignorance, right? There wasn't full understanding of God, who he was, what his ways were, what his worship was. People talk a lot about progressive revelation, that as time goes, mankind has greater revelation given to him. More of God's word is completed, and man begins to know more about God um, uh, uh, post-fall. So there's a time in which there's a lack of understanding of God and his ways. There's also, uh, I mean, these thoughts are just intensely practical, and, you, and at some level, you have to deal with them. It's... it's we just forget how brutal life has been for much of human existence. Like, people didn't live long. People died a lot, young, okay? We, we forget these things. We forget how difficult life was. Um, uh, you know, plenty of, plenty of, of, of Bible stories... Um, uh, but the, the, the warlike nature of the, the tribal landscape of the day, there's lots of men dying in battle, okay? Uh, very, very likely that we're dealing with times in which there's more women than there are men available. And that brings, that brings us to the last one, that in the way the culture functioned then, uh, these women would have largely been without protection and without provision. Without, provi without protection, without provision. They needed someone to care for them. They needed to attach themselves somewhere that would give them protection 
and, and provide for their daily needs. So listen, I'm not saying this is a, this is a perfect explanation. I'm not saying that it's, it, it makes, oh, okay, then sure, we feel good about polygamy in ancient times. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to achieve here. It's just, it's just making a start uh, uh, to the issue of, of how do we sort through these things that we see in Scripture that are less than ideal, that we know are less than ideal, okay? So God, God ignores some of these things. There seems to be a time when there's things that God overlooks because of the, the provision and the conditions of the times, not the way he intended, all right? So uh, Hagar here. Ishmael, some context, some background for Ishmael. So obviously Ishmael then is uh, half Egyptian and half Abraham. Okay, so we'll, we'll say from there on it becomes the Hebrew nation. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll say he's, he's, he's from Abraham. He's got an Egyptian mother. Okay, so... Uh, it's worth noting that Abraham wanted him to be the covenant son. And I can think of a lot of reasons why Abraham would have liked that, not the least of which would have been that life would have been much more simple for him if, if the covenant had just passed on through Ishmael and there wouldn't have had to have been another son for there to be a rivalry with and all those sorts of things. But Abraham originally wants, wants Ishmael to be the covenant son. He loves Ishmael. He wants Ishmael to be the covenant son. God says no. Um, uh, uh, Ishmael is circumcised when he's 13 years old. We see this in the text. He's 13. Abraham was 99. Ishmael is circumcised as a sign of the covenant, that he's, he's from Abraham. And so all of Abraham's household, all the males get circumcised. Ishmael has to participate in this. In the text that we read, we see that Ishmael mocks at this, at this celebration time when Isaac is weaned, right? When Isaac is weaned, we're not sure exactly what the age is here. Um, it might not have been an exact age, regardless. Um, when Isaac is weaned, uh, 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 Ishmael is found mocking his much younger half-brother, okay? He's found mocking him. That was not helpful given the history between Hagar and Sarah. And so the mocking becomes an issue between the two of them. And so Sarah wants them to be kicked out of the family, kicked out of the house. She wants them to be sent away. She wants to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. And Abraham doesn't want to do it. Abraham doesn't want to do it. And so God has to appear to Abraham and say to Abraham, do whatever Sarah says. I I'm going to establish my promises to you through Isaac. It's going to be through him, his line. Let, let Hagar and Ishmael go. So that's what happens, and Ishmael nearly dies in the wilderness. Um, now, it's just fascinating because uh, he's, he's probably... Uh, he's, he's a young man at this point. He's not a little child. He's not a little child. Um, for whatever this is worth, it seems like a distinct possibility that Ishmael is near death 
long before Hagar was, because Ishmael, as a young man, might have been looking at his mom and saying, no, I won't drink the water, mom. You drink the water. You drink the water. Can I just, as an advertiser, I, I don't know if that's for sure the case, but could I just say something that all the moms in here would be happy to hear someone say on their behalf? Young men, do your best not to make life hard on your mom. Like, you're a man. Take care of your mom. Take care of your mom. Stick up for her. Don't give her grief. Protect her. She's your mom. Be on her side. Love her. Take care of her. Make life easier for her. Sacrifice yourself for her. That's what it seems like Ishmael was doing. Seems very possible that Ishmael was saying, we have a water skin, and I'll die before I let my mom die. Mom, you drink. Regardless of how it happened, that advertisement stands. Young men, take care of your moms. Okay? So Ishmael is here. He's in danger. He's saved by an angel. It seems, I say an angel, it seems that this is one of those... Um, pre-incarnate appearances of Christ seems to have been the case, uh, that, that it was a pre-incarnate, the angel of the Lord, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ to Hagar, speaking to Hagar. Um, Ishmael is saved. He grows up to marry an Egyptian woman. His mom finds an Egyptian wife for him. He marries an Egyptian woman, and he has a daughter that ends up marrying Esau ends up marrying Esau. That becomes a different problem in the family at a different time, okay? But Ishmael's daughter married Esau. All right. It's also interesting to remember that it was Ishmael's descendants that purchased Joseph. It was the traveling caravan of Ishmaelites that happened, to, uh, happened across the, the sons of Jacob and Joseph is sold to them, and they take Joseph in slavery to Egypt. It was Ishmaelites. It was descendants of Ishmael that, that did this. Um, uh, and then I, I will mention this as well. I have questions. I can't speak for this. I haven't talked to every Muslim person. But generally, uh, uh, it, is, it, is, it seems to be the case that Muslim Arabs claim Abraham as their ancestor through the line of Ishmael, through the line of Ishmael. So through Ishmael, they claim to be descended from Abraham, okay? So they claim Abraham as their father, uh, Muslim Arabs. All right, that's some background for us for this morning. With that background, I'd like to just um, share with you a couple of things uh, three or four things as quickly as I possibly can today. We've got this rivalry between, between Sarah and Hagar and everything that's going on between them. So thought number one is sister-on-sister -sister crime, okay? So let me just take a second on this issue. Um, there was fault on both sides between 
Sarah and Hagar. There was fault on both sides. You look at the story, you read the story, and you say, well, they could have, there's any number of ways that this should have gotten resolved between them in ways that were better than what happened, okay? But, um, but because Sarah was in the position that she was in, she had the ability to, to uh, uh, authoritatively treat Hagar in ways that Hagar was not going to be able to defend herself from. Um, and so, so she has power to really stick it to Hagar, to really make life difficult for Hagar. And I say that to just say this. Um, I don't know how many of you have used this kind of language with your kids, but I found myself saying this uh, periodically, looking at my kids when, when they're squabbling between them. I, that probably doesn't happen in your, in your family because your families are so... <clears throat> Anyways, in my family, every once in a while, I look at my kids and I, and I say something like, man, if this is the way we are going to treat each other inside of our house, the world's looking like a darker place all the time, you know? Because if the people that are close to you are going to talk like that to each other. The people you live with, if the ones that are supposed to be on your side, are going to turn against each other. Like, what does that mean for the cold, dark rest of the world? <laughs> okay, so how about we think about trying to make this a place where we encourage each other and live, because there's going to be more than enough tearing down of people, you know? Just wait till you get into the workforce or you wait till you get out there and see what the, the rest of the world's like. And, and how about we make this a place where people want to be, okay? And so I, I, I say that to say that, that um, brothers and sisters, uh, as an example, Titus chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, women need each other. Sisters, you need each other. In Titus 2, 4 through 8, it's especially the older women teaching the younger women how to love their husbands, how to raise their children, right? That there's this relationship between older women and younger women where it's recognized that there's a, there's a need for one another. There's a need for one another. And, and as a consequence, that's, it's just this concept that is a very New Testament concept that in the body of Christ, we need one another. The New Testament is full of these one another's that you and I are supposed to be looking out for each other. Like, it would be fantastic for people to walk through the doors of the church and find a family. Walk through the doors of the church and find people that are for each other, that are on each other's side, that are willing to serve each other and love each other and... and yeah, sometimes exhort and admonish each other when that's needed, and there's a place for that. But you and I are supposed to be on each other's sides. We need each other in the body of Christ. I, I, have, I have thought to myself what it must have been like to be Abraham and have two women in his life that, that I mean, listen, you can have all kinds of suppositions. Maybe Abraham should have looked at Sarah and said, you know that Hagar thing is a really bad idea, I refuse. And, and maybe that would have been the right thing for him to do, right? The, the point, however, is after the fact, he's got, he's got trouble on his hands. He's got two women in his life that have, that have issues between them. 
Okay? And he's got to find a way to manage the family. Uh, and I'm just simply saying this morning that, that within the family of God, within the body of Christ, we have to find ways to resolve the issues so that we can be the family of God together. We need each other. We need each other. This is an important truth. You and I need each other. It's that thing that I referred to a few weeks ago, the power of community, the power of community, the importance of community, that, that we can't go it alone, that we shouldn't have to go it alone, that we really do need other people to come alongside of us and walk life with us, that we need each other's encouragement and support. So let's be that to each other. And for this morning's sake, since we're talking Hagar and Sarah, ladies, encourage each other. Nobody knows better than the ladies around you what you're dealing with and what you go through. Advertisement for the ladies' breakfast. Did we mention Barb Doty is cooking? Okay, so just, you, ladies, encourage each other. Get together, encourage each other, right? You need each other. Being our wives is not always easy. You need the encouragement. You need the encouragement, right? Being moms is not always easy. You need the encouragement. Support each other, encourage each other. The second issue after sister on sister crime is flesh versus faith. Flesh versus faith. Now, one of the obvious things in the story is that pre-Hagar, God had already given Abraham a promise and, and Hagar and Ishmael represent Abraham and Sarah's fleshly attempt to help God out. And really, let's not be too hard on them because you can't blame them, right? I mean, uh, they're old. They're old. They're, they're, they don't seem, it seems, if, if we understand the phrases in Scripture correctly, they were beyond childbearing years. It was not something that was going to be humanly possible for them. That, that time had gone, okay? And so you can think to yourself how Abraham and Sarah would have easily thought, you know, God told us he was going to give us offspring, he was going to give us a child, and through this child it would be, he'd be our heir, and all the nations are going to be blessed, and... and we got to do something about this, which, which, by the way, brings up the next point. I mean, listen, after all, God helps those who help themselves, right? Isn't that what we say? Well, the Lord helps them that help themselves. Now, listen, let's acknowledge that there's a certain amount of truth to that. Let's not just dismiss the idea entirely. How many of you agree that God doesn't call us to a completely passive life I mean, there's things you got to do, right? Um, since it's Mother's Day, we're told that there's times we have to discipline our children. And if we don't, God's not just going to womp them into being obedient children. You might have to womp them. Don't put this online. You might have to womp them, in, right? That's part of it. This is this responsibility that God has given to us to discipline. We can't just be passive and do nothing. The point, however, is that, that this phrase gets abused when it's applied in ways that deny our dependence on God, one, and two, the requirement to be obedient to Him. 
The requirement to be, to be obedient to him. Dependence and obedience. That's, that's trust and obey in the words of the hymn. Trust and obey, right? I depend on him, I have to trust in him, and I have to obey him. That when I'm doing that, there will be things for me to do, but, but the reality is that I'm supposed to live a life of trust and dependence, obedience before God. Um, uh, listen, don't forget the words that Jesus spoke. John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing. Jesus demonstrates for us a life of trust in his Father and obedience to his Father. There are things for him to do, but it's always in the context of trust and obey. Trust and obey. This is what God has called us to. And this is the great issue of flesh versus faith. I'll do it myself versus I have to trust God. I have to believe in God. My action will be obedient action. And it will come from a place of trust in God that he will do that which only he can do. So if I can be, if I can be super practical about it this morning, I mentioned this during Sunday school, I'll mention it again. I would say as I evaluate my own parenting at this stage of my life, that when, that when my older children were younger, I took too much upon myself as a parent and forgot that God would have to do a work in their lives. I thought I had to do it all. And it, listen, it's not that I'm advocating for irresponsibility. It's simply that as parents, we have to know when it's time to just take a deep breath, take a long-term view of things, and say, God, it's your job to bring these children to, to yourself. Here's, a, here's, a, quick, here's a, quick, uh, a quick scripture reference for this just to help out. Please don't forget that if in your parenting you're getting frustrated to the point of expressing anger in ways you shouldn't, do not forget that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Don't forget that. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to be very careful, my brothers and sisters. We need to remember that we have a responsibility in raising our children, but we've got to do it from a position of faith. God's job. God's job is to save them. God's job will be to bring them to himself. Romans 14, verse 23, whatever's not of faith is sin. Whatever's not of faith is sin. This is, this is, a, this is a truth of the Christian life that we need to hold on to. Whatever's not of faith is sin. It's a simple thing to, to, to remember, to orient our lives around. Um, the context of Romans 14 is questionable things that people don't agree on. And the point is, if you can't do it in faith, then you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. Right? We are called to a life of faith. Hagar, Ishmael are examples of fleshly effort instead of trusting by faith in the work of God. All right. The third thing is that in Genesis 16, verse 13, God reveals himself to Hagar as the God who sees. The God who sees. Ishmael, interestingly enough, means God hears. 
The name Ishmael means God hears. So God specifically tells, the angel of the Lord specifically tells Hagar, name your son Ishmael because the Lord has heard. Because the Lord has heard, right? And then goes on to reveal himself to her as the God who sees. It's a a remarkable thing that, by the way, that God is revealing this to an Egyptian woman. By the way, this is one of those things that is common throughout the Old Testament, how often God uses unlikely, undesignated people. He just does it over and over and over and over and over again. Uses unlikely people that, that the people that would have had reason to expect God to do things in a certain way are shocked by the people he ends up doing things through, right? He does things to these, to these uh, uh, unexpected people. So um, God hears is the name Ishmael. God sees is what he reveals to Hagar. He sees. And by the way, it's in the context of her difficulty and her suffering. What he says to her in Genesis 16 is, I want you to go back to to Sarah and submit yourself to this person who is mistreating you. I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who sees. Listen, these can be difficult things to remember in the midst of suffering. God hears and God sees. He hears and he sees. This is another one of those things that gets repeated. God acts to deliver his people from slavery because he hears their cries. He hears the cries of their suffering. God hears and God sees. God hears us and sees us in our sufferings and afflictions. Now, it doesn't immediately solve all problems, right? Because there are times when we look at things and think, well, God, if you hear and you see, why don't you deliver? Why don't you do something about this? But our comfort in suffering is that God hears and God sees. And, and I know this is going to sound incredibly politically incorrect. But can I say this? When, when Hagar is required to go back and live under her, her mistress, Sarah... You know, we've, we've gotten used to hearing lots of talk about power imbalances in our day. Ladies, I don't know, I, 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 I try sometimes to put myself in the position of my wife and think about what it would be like to live with a husband who's a very imperfect man, but have to live out the command that wives are supposed to submit themselves to their husbands, and what does that look like? And I've got to tell you, that one of the things that we have to remind our wives of, that we, have to, we should remind our sisters of, my brothers and sisters, uh, sisters this morning, please hear this. God knows your husband's not a perfect man, and your husband knows he's not a perfect man. And you know he's not a perfect man, and we all know we're not perfect men. Can I just remind you today that God hears and God sees? God hears and God sees. Have hope. God hears and God sees. There are such big things at foot. Man, I just, I guess it is at this stage in my life that I'm appreciating more than ever 
So next week is Mother's Day, and it's also my 35th anniversary. And, and my wife and I have a lot of history behind us. And there are very few things, I can't think of anything, that God has used more significantly in my, in my life than my wife. And to be able to share that with someone who's two people who have put up with each other long enough and walked with each other long enough to have dealt with some of the difficult things that you got to deal with in life and come out on the other side and be able to look at each other and say, it was you and it's been me. It's been God at work, us together. And look where he's brought us to. And here we are enjoying the fruit of the work that God did in us together. Like, you just can't, you can't make that up and you can't trade it when you have it. There's no substitute for it, right? That God has done this together. God sees and hears in your afflictions and in your sufferings. He's at work doing some big things through you in your husband's life. Who knows? He might even at some point speak to your, your husband and say to, say to him like he did to Abraham, whatever your wife says, do it. Do it. In this instance, do it. Abraham, listen to her. Do it. Ah, and the angels sound and the, you know, and the chorus of heaven rings and all that. And, and, eh, just hang in there. It might happen. Okay? So... Uh, one last thing real quickly here that I, I, I just want to throw this out. I told you she would be important. The thing I didn't mention about Fanny Crosby, probably all of us know this, is she was blind. She was a blind woman. But she had more spiritual sight than most sighted people. Right? She had more sight than most sighted people. I, I just wanted to read this to you really fast. This is another one of Fanny Crosby's hymns. I think it could have been written by Hagar, the one to whom God said, I'm the God who sees. I see you. By the way, it's interesting because the God who sees in the second, he, he reveals himself as the God who sees in Genesis 16. In Genesis 21, he opens her eyes so that she can see there's a well nearby. The God who sees enables her to see. Listen, all the way my Savior leads me, this, I think, could have been written by Hagar. Maybe some of you ladies would adopt the hymn as your own. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I, I know, whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul athirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Hagar's eyes being opened to see the spring of water. All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of his love, perfect rest to me he is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit, clothed in mortal, Wings its flight to realms of day. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. 
Can I tell you this? When he makes you go back to Sarah, he's with you. When he lets you walk in the wilderness, he's with you. When you're crying because your child's sick and near death, he's with you. Jesus has led you all the way. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. All right, last. We just need to remember that our knowledge is always going to be tested. Abraham and Sarah didn't do so well. God gave them knowledge that they were going to have offspring, and they, they decided to help God out. But Hagar's an interesting one because Hagar's given a promise in Genesis 16. She's given a promise that her son, Ishmael, is going to be the father of a great nation. But in Genesis 21, she's sitting in the wilderness watching him die. And it looks for all the world like the promise of God is going to fail. You told me that he would be a great nation. You told me that, that, that he would be somebody. And now, it is, listen, the point is this. We, we, we say we know things. God shows us things. And then you have to live them out. You have to live them out. Living them out is, is often a, a tremendous challenge, a very difficult challenge. That's illustrated for us in this story. God gives Hagar a promise. It includes a living Ishmael with a great family. And the question is put to the promise when Ishmael is laying, dying in the wilderness. So what happens? The God who sees opens Hagar's eyes and she sees a well of life that will allow her son to live, that will keep her son alive. I, I don't know how to say this well enough. But I just want to challenge you, ladies. I want to challenge you, our sisters. I, I firmly believe that in ways that are more than just bearing children, God wants, God wants you to be fountains of life to the people around you. He wants that for you. Ladies, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's very difficult but when God asks us to do difficult things that we have to then trust him, trust him in and obey him in, he's going to open our eyes and what we're going to see is the life that came from it later on. We're going to see that life. And, and he wants you to be that conduit of life. God reveals something to Hagar that gives life to her son Ishmael that brings Ishmael back to life from the dead. You see, our faith, what we know of God, is going to get tested in real life. And the way we live out those testings, well, they become a fountain of life to the people around us. I, I'm saying this to try to be as practical, as, as helpful as I can. Um, a few weeks ago, is that two weeks ago, maybe? I talked, about the sub I, I talked on the subject of abuse and said there's a time that you... you I, I'm not saying, ladies, that you're supposed to live in certain cases of abuse and put up with that. But I will say this. A long time before you get to abuse that justifies taking certain action, a lot of life is just living with imperfect people that make life 
inconvenient for you and unpleasant for you sometimes. And I don't know what to say other than to say this. This is true both of men and of women. God has called us to live in difficult places in a way that his life ministering to us and through us becomes a fountain of life to the people around us. We are way too used to living comfortable lives and too entitled to thinking we deserve a life of ease. That too often, we are, are not willing to sign up for doing hard things on behalf of Christ. And as a result, we miss out on the life that he wants to bring through us to people around us. Ladies, it's not easy to be a wife and a mom. But I want you to know that through the, the ways that he opens your eyes and the things he shows you, he's going to minister life to people around you. He wants to do that through you. I'll just close by saying this. Uh, our knowledge gets tested and I can't take time on this one, but I'll just say it quickly. We're really used to science and to academics, but can I tell you there's something very precious and very valuable about learning the art of worship through experience. So, you know, one thing would have been telling Hagar, something about God. But it's a very different thing to sit in the wilderness and have the angel of the Lord speak to you and open your eyes, show you a well of living water, and you have your own experience with God. And I just want to say to the church today, to us, to our, our modern ways of looking at things, there is a side of Christianity that is just intensely experiential, that no one can tell you it in the right way to make you get it. You're going to have to walk it out yourself. You're going to have to experience it yourself. Nobody can answer every question for you. Nobody, I can't fully explain polygamy to you in a way that will make you feel good about a God who let that happen for a while. You're going to have to taste for yourself and see if the Lord is really good or not. Some places you just, have to, you just have to have your own experience with God. You have to have your own experience with God. And man, I'll tell you, Hagar's a pretty remarkable woman. I mean, she had some incredible experiences with God. He asked her to do some hard things. But she had a walk with God. Ladies, you will not be able to do what God requires you to do if you don't stay experientially connected to a living God. You need him. You gotta stay close to him. You gotta stay close to him. Let's close. Let me just pray. To this. We're, gonna, we're gonna do a more, a more formal Mother's Day thing next week. I'd like to just take a moment to pray for you ladies in our fellowship. Pray for the, the sisters in our fellowship this morning. Father, we're as men, we want to say thank you for our wives, our daughters, our mothers. Lord, we're, 
we're living in a day when, um, when the boundary markers are, are seeming to be systematically removed and there's all kinds of questions being put to us. When we reorient ourselves in your word, yes, there's things that are difficult for us to understand. But Lord, we remind ourselves today that there's a living God who comes to us in our suffering and our hardship, reveals himself to us in those places. And when our eyes are opened, we have found a living water that we can point others to and, and share life with. And so, Lord, I, I just pray for the ladies that are sitting in this room this morning. I pray, Lord, that in the richness of your presence, you would minister life to them and that that life would be able to flow through them, and touch their husbands, and touch their children in ways that are powerful and profound. Lord, that they would be willing to put themselves in that place before you. Even those places that would be deeply, profoundly uncomfortable, maybe even in some instances undesirable. But Lord, that they would live that out in such a way that their lives just point everyone around them to the reality of a Savior who graces them with strength and with help and with life that sustains them and becomes like a magnet to the people around them, that the faith of our mothers would be a faith that we would aspire to, Lord. I pray your blessing upon the ladies in this fellowship. Lord, you know what their needs are. You know what their burdens are. You know what their frustrations are. You know what their fears are. You know what their needs are. And I pray that you'd come to them in the mighty name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would give them a joy in being who they are, a joy in the role that you've called them to, a willingness, Lord, to be your vessels. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would empower them, enable them, and use them profoundly. And Lord, um, yes, you've given us uh, you've given us a call as men to lead. But let it not take an appearance of God from heaven telling us to listen. Give us the grace of listening. Bless our wives, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think children are ready to come out. Come on through. Lord bless you. Happy early Mother's Day. See you on real Mother's Day next week. <laughs>